Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome back to another episode of the Comedy Bureau. Field Report, the Comedy Bureau, Field Report is a member of the Believe podcast family. That's why on the favorite podcast platform, platform it reads, Believe in the Comedy Bureau Field Report, spelled B-L-E-A-B, and there's the 165th sort of warning I've given to people, and um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, I, am I believing that people need it? Um, that's where we're at. We're reaching the bottom of the barrel riffing on that, but, well, <laughs> or, or have we? Uh, I don't know. Um, we shall see, uh, but I don't want to waste any more time and get onto this week's amazing guest, uh, Fantastic comedian, fantastic writer, has written for all of your favorite shows and then some, and also uh, one of the nicest people in comedy. Uh, please give it up for Josh Gondelman, everybody. Hey, thank you for having me. It's so nice to chat with you. So, so nice to chat with you. Um, yeah, the last time I saw you in person was in 2021. Very end of 2021, right? Yeah, We're very end of 2021. Yeah. yeah in like late october yeah um <laughs> how have things been since then josh well that's quite a span of time and it is so, quite a span of time yeah yeah it's the full oz right great mm-hmm. and terrible and mm-hmm. so um let me see late 2021 so since that point mm-hmm. i have my dog has gotten older and weirder. That's a fact. Cool. She's very old and very weird. She's about to turn 16. I think that's a natural progression for dogs. And people. Yeah. Yeah. For, for sure. sure. And she's at 16. She's like about as like particular in her disposition as like an animal can be. I think. Right. As long as it, I mean, is your dog alert and can see? I think that is like a win. If Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She can see a little bit, and she's mm-hmm. like, alert enough. Like, what, what's she keeping her head on a swivel for? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. She's a bug. Like, it, what? She, if she, even if she wanted to, she couldn't stop, like, a crow from flying away with her. Or, like, a bunch of strong crows. <laughs> <laughs> are there just murders of crows that are uh, parading around New York City now? I'm, I'm in Brooklyn. It's a tough neighborhood, crow-wise. Wow, they're taking it back from the gentrifiers. Okay. Yep. yep. Yeah. Um, how about, I mean, like, you've written for what, Last Week Tonight, Deezus and Mero. Yep. Uh, uh, what, what else? I did a bunch of, I did a bunch of, like, consulting type work for this season of, um, the final season of Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which was really fun. Wow. Yeah. And then before that, my first ever TV job was I, I pitched a bunch of stuff. Some of it made it in, I think. A very, very short freelance gig for Billy on the Street. Mm. Um, and that was that was pretty cool. That was so that but that was my first ever like TV anything gig. Did you wh- what would you sort of write for that? Would you like think of questions for Billy to yell at people? Some questions, some like punishments, like the stuff that he like makes people do when they get it wrong. Um <laughs> That some like I I think by the time that I'd gotten there, all the kind of big picture, mm-hmm. high production value games and stunts had been right. were in place. So this was like truly the on the street stuff, like questions for him to ask and then right. things for him to yell at people. <laughs> oh, this was the more the like actual network TV version of it. Yes, it was post when it was all internet. It was like a couple seasons in. Right, I forget whether it was whether it had moved to true TV by then, it was right. like a very, very short term assignment. It was like two days and I pitched a bunch of stuff and it was, um, but it was really fun. And it was like, it truly felt at the time, this was summer 2013. Right. And so this is 10 years ago. It right. felt like, Ooh, maybe this is going to happen after all. Yeah. I, I'd, I'd kind of been in the midst of a long stretch of like, applying to tv jobs and mm-hmm. you know not really hearing much and being like mm, you know maybe the, as far as this goes for me is the getting to apply to things part of a career and right. and so i was like trying to figure out whether that was true right 
And that seems to be pretty commonplace when it comes to if you're doing if taking a career as a writer mm -hmm. in TV and film, there's a lot there's a it's feast or famine, a lot, lot of desert and then all of a sudden no, an oasis. Yeah. And it's it's just like a lot of rejection in a way that I think like can be demoralizing if right. if especially because at that part of a career right when you're at the beginning like now i think i can handle the rejections a little better because mm -hmm. i'm like i've done a bunch of things i'll probably do more things like right. i'll probably get another job when the when the strike is over at some point right. um i will continue to book some stand-up work like that kind of stuff right. whereas back at this point in 2013 it was like you can't know like okay it's probably going to be mostly okay you know <laughs> and so i was still at that point where i was like oh maybe i move home and i'm like a teacher who occasionally writes for mcsweeney's or something right. and so but yeah and you can't know like and it's and and i think now that i've had a bunch of jobs in the industry and like been had really good fortune to do that right. it's not like I don't have like a huge um my appetite is not like oh i'm gonna become like a big time household name powerful hollywood player it's just like i like to work i would like to create things eventually mm -hmm. like that that with people that i like and trust yeah but I, I i'm not like straining to get to a next level of something yeah, you don't want your own Shondaland. You don't want to be Ryan Murphy. No, I don't think that's that's ever gonna be, ever gonna be what I'm right. doing. Although, um, and th the the idea of you having something like that does seem nice. I think it would be, you know, um, I think it would be there would be some fun to be had. But like, I do kind of also like a life, and you know, maybe this will change at some point. But I do like a life where I can like do a bunch of stand up and go to a concert if I want and not right. feel like, oh, I, the buck stops with me for like an empire. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. That makes me think of like when Jon Stewart stepped down the Daily Show, there were all these people that were thinking of big names that wanted to like, oh, yeah, maybe Amy Poehler, or maybe Chris Rock. Yeah. And like, they don't want to do that job is every day. It's a very, it's a very rigorous job. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, I don't want to make it sound like hosting a TV show sound like it's, um, you know, digging graves, mm -hmm. but it is like, it is a job where you show up every day and have to go on TV every day and do a good job of it. Um, so that it, it's like, and, and not that, not that those people that you mentioned aren't capable of it, right. but it's like when you're a movie star, mm -hmm. you just don't have to go to an office four to five days a week and like be seen even when you're having an off day you know what i mean like right. you can kind of have seasons to your career and seasons to your year professionally like chris rock could go on a long stand-up tour if you wanted or direct a movie if you wanted and right. and you just kind of have less flexibility when you're like okay 40 weeks a year i have to be on tv four nights a week yeah and that is exhausting yeah <laughs> as, I, as you know I think it is. I, and I, I've never, I've never been on that side of it in front of the camera, but it is like, especially when you're a host, when you're not like a person who shows up, sits in front of the camera, reads off the teleprompter and goes home, you know, when right. you're not just like the face of something, right. when you're involved in like shaping the voice of a show and the, right. the conscience of a show like that, right. it is like a, it is a job that really demands your full attention and, and a lot of your time. Right. Uh, I want to bring it back to you were saying um, that you there there was a long road to you getting to some sort of stability and security as a writer. Um, do you think the trajectory of that has changed since you started like aspiring to be a TV writer? Um, you know, I'm like a real bad planner, <laughs> and so there's like i i got into stand-up because i was like this seems fun and then i and, and i started in boston where occasionally something good would happen for someone um but that's not the norm i mean like and by that i mean like a career thing like right. it but it did it all felt like we were each other's 
Goodwill Hunting and Ben Affleck's character from Goodwill Hunting. <laughs> like we were all kind of like, ah, one of these days you're all you're not gonna be here anymore. And like that, and it it occasionally would happen, right? Like occasionally right. someone would open for a big act and they would get to go on tour with them or like would book a TV appearance with a network that would come through or, or book like a, a big festival showcase and that would kind of take their career to another level. But I think a lot of the time you had to like leave first and then trust that the other stuff would happen. And right. so eventually I I did that. I, I was doing okay. Like I, I had some pretty good fortune doing some festivals out of town and getting a little road work out of it. And I had a college agent by the time that I left, but like it kind of took winning this festival competition and then also having like a, a, a substantial breakup with somebody who I had been dating that had like really firm roots in New England. Mm -hmm. And, and then I was like, Oh, maybe I should like go somewhere else and see if there's more out there. Mm -hmm. and, and so like I moved to New York being like, I guess I would like to write for television. That seems like a stable job in, in comedy. That's not just like the based on like, who you can convince to let open for you on the for them on the road or right. how many tickets you can sell on the road but it's like a job that you can go to and have health insurance and stuff and right. so that was really appealing to me mm -hmm. um do you so even though you're a bad planner i mean i do know that a lot of comedians fall into it and as a result like you know we really see emily heller on stage anymore and yeah i man i loved her i love her stand-up too oh, she's yeah. like truly one of my favorite people to watch do stand up and, and I love her all her like TV appearances and specials and stuff same um shout out to her being the only person to have a Getty branded purse on the red carpet oh my god she's Getty so image. funny That's it's so like funny. truly her like red carpet bits yeah. are like so funny because then she had the the a red carpet picture so there was mm -hmm. the getty watermark and then yeah. the one that was on her purse she's just so funny and so wonderful and just like we'll commit to a bit like that i i love emily we moved to new york around the same time oh, and awesome. became i think we met like uh, around the country like i I'd probably i think maybe in san francisco or maybe in, in atlanta or something it was just I, we definitely met but we like became friends in new york and and then she moved within a couple of years to LA and uh and she's she's such a funny comedian but like such a great writer too right yeah busy winning Emmys you know yeah she's all she's like ha has her hands on so much cool stuff absolutely uh Ian Carmel who's only now getting back into stand-up after Corden is sort of you know ended yeah but he, yeah I mean he went from being head writer to being actually on air um, so it, it is a common path that like comedians to fall into, but I, I wonder like with the advent of everything that's changed in the landscape of like television, has that become a uh, harder inroads to, to make? And like, you know, it already is pretty hard or was yeah. pretty hard, but I guess, you know, this is all sort of leading up to me, like asking, uh, <laughs> Like why, what's at stake for the, the WTA and striking here yeah. specifically to you? So it's interesting because I think like the, the real answer as, as like dramatic as it sounds is like the future of television and film writing as a career mm -hmm. is at stake. Right. I think is like really what the the what we're up against and like yeah. what is kind of what we're negotiating against our studios giant corporate conglomerates who kind of who seem like what their position is is that like we want to be able to employ writers for as short a time as possible give them as small a stake as possible in the success of their work um we want to leave the door open for like any kind this is them they want to leave the door open for any kind of ai tools that could you know do any of the any kind of pre-writing outlining stuff that would be bad for writers and bad for art but like i don't think they care about that so right. it is really like 
the idea of writing as like a career Mm -hmm. is is like kind of at stake except for for the for a few people who will be kind of at the top running things and like pressing go on the ai (laughs) machines but like there's so much and like ai is its own kettle of fish because i think someone i wish i remembered who said it or if they want to be credited but called a like the way these ai generative chat bots and stuff work as like a plagiarism jukebox right like it can't it doesn't think of things you train it by showing it a bunch of stuff that's someone's work that's like work that a person did or probably numerous numerous people and then it spits out something that is like kind of a a pringle right like a mulch solidified like a, a pringle of words uh based on stuff other people have done work other people have done in the past without crediting or compensating them Absolutely. I think Adam Conover pointed out that it's a misnomer to even call it generative. It's derivative. Yeah, it is. It's re- recombinative, right? Yeah. It's like it's recombining elements that it's seen before and can break down by patterns. And like, that's a neat trick, but right. it is stealing if you like make art based on that. And it is, right. it's a, it's like a little yeah it it, yes anyway so all of that plus there are issues like um seasons of tv getting shorter which has Mm -hmm. like means people hop from gig to gig sooner but to instead of compensating for that by saying like okay we will employ writers through production right when they're writer producers on a show the studios have said for comedy variety we want to be able to pay a day right day rate for comedy variety writers so like instead of um building in the security that was previously there for a writer who would work on a show that would maybe be 22 episodes for a season right Right. instead of like bolstering the 8 10 12 episode seasons with like a little more security so people can um earn into the health insurance plan for the year they're going we want to go the other way we want to strip everything down to parts and employ you as short a term as as we would like which makes it so hard right if you're excuse me, if you're waiting mm-hmm. to work, whatever it is, whatever it would be 40 days and you can be brought in by the day for right. to write for a show like The Tonight Show or Saturday Night Live, right. then it's going to be much harder for you to have any kind of stability because you're like, until you work that certain amount of days, you're like, oh, I'm going to lose, I could lose my health insurance at the end of the quarter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, while... I mean, I think there might be sort of this disconnect in terms of you see something like Saturday Night Live. Sure. And and it's so high profile that you think that like everybody involved is fine, but the threat of everything being taken away immediately is um, ever present. And it feels like it's even been more so. I remember hearing years ago uh, in an interview, Bill H- Hader admitted that it was only after like like four seasons of being on the show where lauren was like you're okay like wow. you, don't, you don't have to like worry about it. and that's like bill Hader, you know yeah right one of the the like preeminent television stars of a generation and yeah. i think there's a lot of people that that don't have the bill Hader level of security at whatever job i don't want to single out saturday night live but just like to to have named a comedy variety job but like a lot of people that don't have that kind of security and frankly like and i'm you know i'm maybe the weird a weird face of this message but Mm -hmm. i do think when things kind of constrict and contract right and there's like and people are become are when stability and security is being stripped away the people that are going to feel it the most are the people who have historically had the hardest time gaining purchase getting a foothold in the industry right Right. like people who have maybe had to struggle and strive a little harder so it's going to be really it it, this kind of thing it's not going to the squeeze doesn't happen equally there's going to be a real pressure on and and a real disadvantage to people who come from backgrounds that the industry has marginalized in the past professionally right people of color women lgbtqia uh writers like i think that that is like a real concern that 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 when when stuff when the going 
gets tougher by the, by the doing of the studios, not when the work is hard, but right. when the conditions are are increasingly hostile to workers. Right, that is who is going to feel it the first. The people first, the people who have the least cushion and the least like um, the the slightest foothold in the industry to begin with. Right, which is, I would say, actually a good percentage of people that are professional writers. Yeah. I, I think that there's a, there's a lot of people that it's really gonna that that these these things would really screw over if they were allowed to be enshrined in the contract. Right, and that's the interesting sort of narrative that's I'm sorry, like it's you see on Instagram and Twitter and on like news coverage of the strike, you see the famous people that are on the picket line. Yeah, you see Fran Drescher, president of the SAG-AFTRA, on the picket mm-hmm. line, and like. You know, I don't want to necessarily speak for them, but, you know, they're probably fine financially for a while, maybe even for the rest of their life. But there are a lot of people that you wouldn't know uh, who they were just by looking at them. That, totally. Like, that's they're there fighting for like their career, their life, you know? Yeah. And I, and I think that that is SAG after currently has a strike authorization vote in progress right now. Right. Um, and I think a lot of there are a lot of people that that are working actors working performers who feel like they they really need a, a a deal to come through that will protect performers from ai that will that will help them put them in a position to earn into their healthcare because streaming shows don't pay residuals the same way as as broadcast shows you know like there right. it's real like the the big studios and these these platforms kind of change the way television and film are distributed and then they went and because it's different we don't have to pay you the same amount and you go, well, we did the same amount of work and you're doing it to make money you're not yeah. doing it because like every uh broadcast airwave in america uh just like disappeared all of a sudden you're doing it because you think this will be more profitable and like right. you don't get to reap that profit on the backs of all the, you know, all the people that it takes to actually make television and film and, right. and just like funnel that money um, upwards to shareholders and to CEOs. It's it's right. like deeply unfair. And it's it's like clearly the play that they're they're going for. Right. They're always kind of saying like, well, we we lost money this year. And it's like, well, that's because this giant company engulfed this other giant company and that cost money. But they didn't do it. Out, that was not a charity move. It wasn't an accident. They were like, whoops, we, we bought HBO. It's like they did it because that in the long run, they think that's what will be profitable. And all we're asking as writers and then and as performers as well. I'm also a SAG after member, mm-hmm. um, as bad an actor as I am, uh, but I am occasionally <laughs> on television, uh, is is like a a fair piece of all this giant, like billions of dollars in value. Like what the I think what we've asked it amounts to about two percent of operating profits for these companies and it's like yeah that's that's a fair amount to pay Mm -hmm. like i would say writing is two percent of the success of the the film and television industry at least right that doesn't seem like an outrageous thing to claim right absolutely and is that their only thing that they're decrying is like, oh, we lost money, so we don't have money to give you, even though it keeps – I keep reading headlines that people like Bob Bakish and Sarandos are getting like record payouts or whatever. Yeah, or, I mean yeah. we're talking – this is not $10 million. This is – we're talking people making $40, $50 million, $100 million in a year, and they're, they have the audacity – to go and, and obviously I don't think forty million dollars spread around, you know, I think what the what the writers are asking for is about four hundred thirty million dollars worth of improvements and concessions. And but what they what the industry is paying, or you know, what these various companies are paying eight or nine CEOs is about seven hundred seventy million. So it's mm-hmm. not like one guy's paycheck, but 10 guys paychecks, that's everything we're asking. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. And that you could pay, you could give the writers everything that we're asking for and there would still be $300 million to pay those CEOs. Do you know what right. I mean? Like it just right. feels that the things that their counter arguments mm. are, I mean, it to me, it boils down to don't want to not gonna. Like there's mm-hmm. no, they don't have a leg to stand on 
morally or logically. Right. All they all they have is no, it's not in the contract, so we're not giving it to you, and we don't want to give it to you, so we're not. And like, I think, sorry to hijack, but like no, all right. the writers, you know, the nobody's like excited that we've been on strike for uh, three, four we're weeks. This is we. This is week four. We're like in the fourth week, so yeah. it's been about what's today's day, the twenty third. So it's been twenty two days of of right. strike. So over three weeks. And nobody is like, great, this is what we had hoped would happen. Like everybody wants a deal, and ev- yeah. but everybody wants a fair deal. And we voted with 97.85% affirmative vote mm-hmm. to, to authorize this strike because we knew how important it was, not because we're taking it lightly, you know? Mm-hmm. And like the vote was like 9,000 to 200. Like I've never right. seen any vote that's that like it was wild the only uh, go on what were you gonna say oh the only other vote outcome like that is um in china's joke of a legislature that they have they have to have like vladimir putin gets elected (laughs) night and 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 like that's like even that people are like wait a minute but like this was these were the numbers here and so it is there is like a really strong solidarity and there's been so much solidarity from other unions from the public like there there are like hundreds of sag after members mm-hmm. marching in new york on the picket lines right um and like iatsi crews and teamsters respecting right. picket lines and not crossing when when we set up before they get to a, a work site and so it's and, and like today there was this huge rally at um at 30 rock and there were members from the the laborers union, the department store workers union, mm-hmm. um, IATSE, SAG-AFTRA, Teamsters. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of who, I'm sure I'm leaving some out, but it was like right. really a, a spectacular turnout. And we've I've seen people from the Starbucks union and the Amazon union like on right. the line. And so like it it is clear mm-hmm. to to working people and to like thinking people, th- which are, often the same group of people that, you know, that it, that people are going like, oh, this is not just writers versus studios. This isn't some like ivory tower coastal elite fight. This is like the fight that everyone is in, right? Like Amazon makes TV. They also have warehouses and where people who work in the warehouses get like, oh, we're fighting the same Amazon, you know, they, and they have both places have the same ethos of like, we'll give you, we want to be allowed to give you as little as we can, Right. Uh, we want to retain the liberty to like treat you however we want, whenever we want. Right. What do you think it is? It's it's like I don't feel like the AMPTP has really tried to dispel anything in the narrative right now that they're the bad guys. Yeah, I mean, like, why? why? I I truly I don't know. I don't want to like brainstorm on their behalf, right. but I do think that like they are wrong and i think like i don't think they have a case about like being right and and so like it's wild the things that like david zaslav has said with all this scrutiny on him right like at upfronts where he he said something like yeah i think what we're gonna have to do is bundle streamers together i think that's the future and it's like yeah man you're reinventing cable just trying to save on the overhead by not paying people like it's cable like it's it's just like they're they're not um i don't think they have a case and yeah. and i don't mean like everyone who works at a studio is a bad person but i mean the leadership that is deciding how compensation works and how distribution right. works they're just like they're just not correct and they don't like what would the case even be i don't know other than they just want to increase profit margins yeah and i mean i think i think if you are the the kind of person who is swayed by that of like every company should be allowed to make as much money as they legally can you know without breaking laws and it's like okay but this is the market then reacting right like Mm -hmm. the workers saying like actually you can't make that much money because we won't let you because we deserve some of that for the work that we do yeah absolutely which is beyond fair like it yeah i think so it feels so like the idea that one person who who's like a ceo of 
of Netflix, let's say, or two people who are CEO of, CEOs of Netflix would make a combined, whatever, 80 to $100 million. And yeah. it's like, well, what do, what did they make that right. was, that, that entitles them to that, you know? And right. it's like, you see even people who are, who are kind of at the top of the food chain in terms of like how beloved their work is and how successful it is. Like right. the, the Duffer brothers said that they're, there won't be production on Stranger Things until the strike is resolved because production, you know, writing is part of the production process. And so for that, for them who are like, you know, Netflix will tell you, that's like one of the, the more human eyes have seen that than, than anything in human history, more human eyes have seen it than the moon or whatever right. Netflix will right. say. And oh, you go, well, yeah. these, these people, these, these writers and producers, directors realize the value of like a fair contract for everyone and being fairly compensated for the work they do. Right. Absolutely. And then you just kind of get these non-acknowledging sort of generalized statements from Zaslav or Bakish or Sarandos mm -hmm. that are, are they waiting to reach the bottom of the barrel of reality TV that they have on deck? I mean, I don't know. I don't know what their plan is, but it's also like, you want to talk about reality TV, that's writing too. And, you know, there are, there are some nonfiction shops that are WGA organized, but it's like, it's again, they make, they're making that not because I don't, I don't want to denigrate the hard work that people working in nonfiction do, or like the amount that people enjoy that product, but they're not making it because they think it's better or whatever they're making it because there's not quite the organizing density that they have to treat those employees fairly the way that like narrative and um film and comedy variety writers have that protection so it's right. like you know it just it really feels like mm -hmm. they're everything these these studios are doing mm -hmm. is like an um a grab at profitability right. with without any thought of like fairness or what what will be a, a well-rounded i think we can agree like abc posted a um quote-unquote strike proof fall schedule that's like a <laughs> yeah. bunch of it's a bunch yeah. of competition shows which right. like you know there's a lot of skill and craft making them that people there's a lot of affection for them i and i so i don't want to speak ill of those shows right. um but there was one narrative show and it was reruns of abbott elementary that's what they were <laughs> trotting out and right. you talk about it this way right we, it's it's not strike proof because if SAG AFTRA does strike, I believe someone said that all but one of those shows has a SAG AFTRA union host. So it's like, right. well, that disappears too, and right. and so they're they're really trying to like make this end round uh, end run around treating workers fairly at every corner. Right. Um, yeah, and my friend, my friend, um. A friend of mine was saying yesterday that we were talking about like how the good old days, right? Where like mm -hmm. you go, well, at least this studio heads like were trying to be creative people. And you go, well, I don't want to romanticize that. You know, there's always been exploitation from the top down. It just feels like these companies got so good at capitalism mm -hmm. that that nothing else um, matters to them. Right. Right. Like it used to just be there wasn't like the analogy I used, it was like, it's like, you know, maybe a baby dinosaur is cute, but it would eat you if it could. And then mm -hmm. when the dinosaur grows up, you're like, oh, it's trying to eat me like it always wanted. It just didn't have the <laughs> skills. And that's how I feel about so much of um, the, the kind of like the studio mindset at this point. Like, obviously there are, there have been really wonderful, creative people working at all levels right. of of TV and film for a long time. But when someone makes... $200 million and then argues that they can't pay writers. That's, that's not that. Right. Especially with the fact, if you look at, uh, I forget the exact metric, but I want to say like market value of mm -hmm. something like Apple, Apple yeah. represents more money and, and then most countries. Yeah. They like operate as their own country yeah. almost. You know, yep. And so you can't even ha with having effectively a GDP that rivals hundreds of countries, you can't pay sure. writers. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Disney, right? That's like yeah. one of the big companies, mm -hmm. and they're they're telling us on one hand, they're telling investors, oh yeah, Disney Plus is about to be 
profitable, right? It's achieved, achieved liftoff and next year we'll be making profits on it. And they come to us and go, uh, actually not, no, we didn't mean we there's not, there's no money. We, you get, we can't. And it's like the, everybody I think is kind of hip to this game of like, oh, they're, what they're, when they say there's no money, they mean there's no money for us, right? There's right. money for their shareholders. There's money for their CEOs. Like yeah. CEO pay isn't going to dip over time mm-hmm. because, uh, because of, you know, these acquisitions and mergers and stuff there, the it, but writer bay is because they think that they can that's what place they can cut corner and and like squeeze out another drop of profit you know there are people that are perhaps adjacent to entertainment or maybe even outside that don't quite at least in what i've heard from them don't understand what is at stake here and seeing the images that they see think it's kind of bougie Hmm. because a a lot of the picket signs are really clever people are funding for jokes for planes flying over uh studios someone did a singles mixer I think in the second week. <laughs> I hadn't seen that. Which is like, that doesn't really get like a eat the rich energy out, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, what would you, what would you say in response to that? I think, I mean, the response to me, and I think I, I would also counter by saying that there are a lot of people that I think really do see it as part of the, see this strike as part of a bigger labor movement right Mm -hmm. and i think that that has been super heartening to me like to to see like and this is all anecdotal i know it sounds like donald trump like a big strong man came up to me crying but like you know this is this is all i can see is like looking at the statistics and knowing that we deserve what we're fighting for and then seeing on the ground i'm out when i'm in in new york like i've been out every day that i haven't traveled every weekday that i haven't been traveling for stand-up and just like people coming for like students coming out and um amazon workers and mm-hmm. uh and just like people who see like oh we're fighting a lot of the same things right like yeah. corporate greed and shareholder value at the expense of worker compensation and mm-hmm. fairness and and equity um we're seeing like jo- you know we talked about ai mm-hmm. i think there's lots of fields where people are th- thinking like oh when when things get automated they're not automated to make work easier for workers and give them more abundant opportunity and free time and less dangerous you you know in in some instances less dangerous working conditions mm-hmm. it's like we'll replace who we can with computers and then everyone else has to pick up the slack and then some people are just out of jobs so like right. all these issues i think are really um relevant to right. to working people across america certainly and across the globe but i think in america the idea of jumping from job to job in a gig economy type marketplace right. and really having to scrape by for things like healthcare is right. something that feels really relevant and immediate to people in all different kinds of work right absolutely you know it's funny yeah. i ran to somebody who who like said that uh oh i haven't seen good tv in so long and are <laughs> do they do they even deserve to like uh, like you know uh be paid more because i haven't seen good tv i'm like well i don't think you watch the tv that's good but that's he, neither here or there yeah I, I said you know where i keep seeing that what, is um yeah. people who pay for twitter blue replying to like tweets from like variety and deadline mm-hmm. and it's just people being like tv is bad and it's like who are you yeah like, <laughs> like what what did you used to watch that doesn't exist anymore right and also i would i would try to explain it maybe i'm off but i would say that because of the conditions that people are working in as writers and what studios want that gives them less time to make tv good yeah i mean i definitely think that there are like so this is like one of the most insidery 
like issues and it's real but it's a little trickier to explain but the idea of like a quote-unquote mini room where a few writers come in uh before off before a show's even greenlit and will start doing some of the most kind of intellectually tricky work of like breaking the season meaning like figuring out the arc of the season what the characters do from like where they start where they end up without um, writing a for script Without writing scripts, yes. So it's just like the idea of like, here's what happens from episode one to episode 10, right? So if 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 you're hiring like whatever, four writers to do that work in four weeks, they are, it's not ideal conditions for doing the creative work. And especially if those writers are not brought on to see things through and not, are not there for production, right? right? So it is, there is a way in which people are spread more thin, excuse me, more thinly than ever before uh, by these mini rooms. And so there are shows that that I've heard of, and I don't want to like throw anyone under the bus where you go, man, if they had had a full staff and a full tenure of a writer's room, that show would have been tangibly better and might have lasted longer, like might have found its footing a little faster. And mm -hmm. so, but, but I, it really like when you hear, and this is like a real pet peeve of mine, someone brought this up today. I think it was busy Phillips speaking mm -hmm. at the, at the big rally, but the, I, I gosh, I, I hope I'm not misattributing, but some, when you hear CEOs talk mm -hmm. about what they're putting on their platforms as just content, it mm -hmm. like really, I don't think everything has to be high art. I think that's <laughs> yeah. like a lot of times you want to watch something that is like engaging and isn't and doesn't like change the way you think about life on earth. And yeah. I think that's fine. Yeah. But the idea of like content instead of like production or work or even just saying like the TV we make, like, you know what I mean? Or the films that we make, like the idea of content just feels to me like, yeah, we just need something that goes from nine to nine 30 mm -hmm. or like something that is 10 hours long that people can watch for 10 hours on this streaming mm -hmm. service. And it's like, man, that stinks. Like, like they, you get the feeling when you hear people talk like that, that they would just like shine a laser pointer against a wall and mm -hmm. shake it around. Like you'd entertain a cat and that would right. be a show that they would do 12 seasons of. Right. Right. Or the thing from, Oh, Fahrenheit 451, if I'm remembering this correctly, where like, I think in the book, I don't think the uh, Ray Bradbury mentioned AI, but essentially you would be in a room surrounded by TV screens and you could be in your own show. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it just feels like when to call, to, to like refer to it as content is like, and, and for, for the people who are, financing and making decisions on what's what stays or goes or what's good or bad to be like it's all content to us there's no sense of like craftspersonship or artistry or um talent it's all just like stuff and right. it like it's a real bummer to hear it talked about that way and and it really like collapses all these different skills and trades and right. arts into just like well the end product is this kind of flat like it starts at a certain point, it ends at a certain point, right. and in between people have paid us for it or are, or are captive to our advertisers. And right. it's like, a, it's a bummer. Right. How is How do we highlight the labor of that better? Because like the artistry, you talk about craft work. I mean, you know, ostensibly you could say that that's like very much appreciated at con, which is happening right now. Totally. And, and one of my least favorite things that's getting reported as always with festivals like that is <laughs> the, the standing ovations, the standing ovation. Like who is timing this? And it's, it's the so most funny. like the biggest expression of privilege of just like, Oh, so you have time to just like stand there and clap for fucking eight that's minutes. So funny. And it's like, I've also, it's so funny to do that for film. Like I've seen, um, I, when uh, I saw Hello Dolly on Broadway with my wife after um, Bette Miller had left and Bernadette Peters took over the the title role of Dolly. And my wife is a huge Bernadette Peters fan. And right. she got a standing ovation just when she came out. People were so excited, like, hell yeah, hello, Dolly. Yeah. And she got a standing ovation, deservedly so. She's a legend. Yeah. But yeah. like, 
a studio vision lasts like 90 seconds. Yeah. Like I've never seen in a, in a live performance where like everyone involved in the performance, maybe not everyone who worked on the sets, but like right. the stage crew is there. The orchestra is there. All the performers are there. The, the lighting techs are there. Yeah. The director is probably there. And you, and like those standing ovations are like, one to two minutes and then people are clapping at a screen yeah. for for like 12 minutes and it's like who are you trying to prove what are you sting like what are we trying right. to just outlast each other it's so funny to me right i remember a set that roy scoble did when meltdown was around where he's like all right we're everyone keep clapping keep clapping and they want he wanted everyone to clap during his whole set, which did happen. But like by minute so four, funny. we're like, okay, this is like it's annoying. exhausting and it's <laughs> yeah. annoying and it's a, that's so funny. God, Roy's the funniest. Yeah, but um, I feel like there is, you know, that's what people sort of attribute to sort of the artistry of it, and they're not seeing all the all the hundreds of thousands of people. Yeah, the, all the people that are in the credits that you don't stick around for because not every. Single movie has a post credit scene. In chat, I mean, also like when you're watching on certain streamers, they get kind of sped through, right? They, the, or the, or like, you're getting kicked to the next episode. Yes, exactly. They they speed you up to get to the next episode. And I think that's such a bummer that that's not required, that they keep full screen, full – maybe there's a speed thing, but like full screen, certainly stuff collapses and they're like, next episode. You go, no, you, I've, all these people deserve their – moment of visibility because it takes so many people to make television and film work and and that's like i think the the writers who are striking have tried to be really gracious and um and enthusiastic about all the other people like it's not just us we're fighting for our slice of the pie but like sag aftra it could could strike soon the dga i mean the dga is currently negotiating so it's all the directors and and ADs and mm-hmm. I, I, there are a couple other positions that I I forget what's exactly under their jurisdiction, right. but the, and that and then there's the IATSE crews, mm-hmm. um, like the SNL. I mm-hmm. think it was the SNL crew almost had a strike recently, and that was averted. Um, oh yeah, by, the uh, po- the post production. Yeah. Oh yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Um, and and that is, I like there are so many. Po- I mean, post teams work like wild hours, oh, yeah. and it's and and get asked to do like really intense turnaround vfx people right that mm-hmm. famously un unor- under organized in terms of labor right. and and just have so many demands put on them so it's not that writers are like these special people it's that right now we have the microphone and we have this opportunity to argue for what's fair and when people right. say like well what about these other people you go yeah we want this for everyone right. i don't i there's not a person i've seen on a picket line that's like um that's like yeah i hope we get ours but like uh fuck lighting designers <laughs> like nobody's <laughs> that's not how anybody feels like everybody's like yeah we've gotta we've gotta get it and we've gotta we've gotta pave the way for other people to get it and we've right. got to stand in solidarity with other people getting it absolutely and at the risk of sounding insensitive i uh it's finally like people collectively taking heed of that poem that was about the Holocaust of like, they came for, um, I don't even remember the whole thing, but they I, know came for certain... I know what you're talking about. Yeah. But that is, first... I mean, like I, it, I, I'm trying to think of, I understand where you're coming from. I right. think I would come at it a little differently, but sure. it is the idea of like, I mean, okay. So to go, um, from a similar god i always misquote this and i think i like never look it up and i but i think about it all the time there's this like i think it's like from the talmud this other very judaic quote that's like if i'm um if i'm not for myself who will be if i'm only for myself what am i essentially and i think that like that um that ethos right of like Mm -hmm. Well, I have to advocate for myself, but I also have to stand up for other people. And that's, I think that's, um, uh, that that's like, you know, George Carlin used to say, take care of yourself and take care of someone else at the end of right. his shows. And, and that's like, I think that is so important. Like, it's not that we're just asking people to stand with us. We're saying like, we are like, let's be arm in arm with this. And we want to, we want to make your fight, the burden on you less uh, burdensome as well. Absolutely. Um, 
our time is coming to a close. I, I feel like we could talk about this for hours. Do, can we do some comedy news? Let's do it. I'll start off with the thing that sort of relates to all of this. Um, the ramp uh, reported that uh, a possible job that could exist for writers if chat GPT is indeed uh, used in the process of writing is a prompt engineer, which essentially your job would be coming up for the prompts to plug into chat GPT, which again is not, generative it's derivative or yep. recombinative uh, yeah yeah i i mean like i think it's just not that's not valid writing and yeah. to the extent that it is it's valid because it is other people's writing right like right. if 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 there were like substantial royalties being paid which is right. not, I don't think that's entered the conversation at all, right? Like, no. the, like I, I think for there to be a place for, and this is me talking, like, this is no insider information and negotiations, but right. you go, well, for the, you know, a chat G, I think studio, it sounds like people are not informed or not inclined to want to pay writers fairly. Think of like, right. oh yeah, well, you have them have chat gpt generate a script and then a writer rewrites it and you go well that script probably contains work from hundreds of people so instead right. of paying one person or two people to write a right. script you would really owe a debt to hundreds of people right if you thought royalty fights from people sampling music from right from past was a nightmare yes. this is yes. way worse if you think right if you're if you can listen to um, BC Boys, Paul's Boutique, or De La Soul, Three Feet High and Rising, and go, I hear these little strains, and, and there are like dozens and dozens of these samples. That's mm -hmm. what like ChatGPT is doing. It's sampling in a way that like, maybe you can't recognize the source material, but it's there. And it like, it, it just as much as with music, that is someone's artistic work and someone's intellectual property. Right, right. Um, how do you think that's going to become a thing? A prompt engineer or like, I mean, what else, or conversely, what else would you think in terms of AI being roped into TV and film writing? I don't know. I mean, like, I, I think there are ways that people have been really creative in terms of like using technology and over over time not just like now right i think there's always some like real innovation that can be done by people who want to create art in collaboration with technology and i think that's like pretty cool i, I think you know sometimes just as an intellectual exercise sometimes the results are like a a, a new version of a, a classic mm -hmm. um medium right you're like right. ooh, i didn't know that visual art could look this way with this kind of Right. um technology but like i just don't think the rule i i don't think that is going to come from like studios being like what if you trained what if you showed ai all the fast and furious movies and then had chat gpt write the next fast and furious movie no no yeah i don't think that's gonna i mean it wasn't chat gpt but thomas middleditch like you know i i, I guess as an experiment and to show how far away it is they fed a bunch of sci-fi scripts into an algorithm and then it spat out one. And then Thomas just acted out whatever it was with some. Oh, interesting. Movie. And it is, you feel like you're having an aneurysm watching it. Yeah. It's so it, nonsensical. And I, and I think like, that's one argument, right? Is that like, it's not good. And then yeah. the other argument, like we were talking about before is that it's not just to do that. Like, because right. even in that nonsense, I'm sure that the, it is coming from strains of other people's mm -hmm. creative work, you know, right. like, it's not just like, Ooh, if we can teach this to do sense instead of nonsense, then we're in the clear. It's like, no, even then it's still plagiarizing. Absolutely. Well, I can, I can see that AI will still be used to try to spit out jokes and then actual real life human comedians making fun of how bad it is at telling jokes yeah 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 i feel like that's kind of the primary use of um 
of like chatbots as grist for the creative mill is like yeah. people going like I made a bot do this and now I'm gonna read it and, and make fun of it. Yeah. Uh, next slash last item of news, uh, which you know d does not have anything to do with strike, but is ar arguably more terrifying. Um, China slash Xi Jinping slash the People's Liberation Army, the standing military of China, uh, find a Chinese comedian for making to our Western ears a very innocuous joke, basically comparing the effectiveness of the Chinese military to some stray dogs chasing a squirrel. Um, and effectively that comedian lost his job and the uh, entertainment group that was responsible for booking him and responsible for putting on stand-up comedy performances in a very fledgling comedy scene in China uh, are prohibited from putting on shows until further notice. Wow. I mean, I, I know that like that example of like the financial penalty sounds really extreme, but yeah. like it, it frankly doesn't seem that much different than no. Tennessee banning drag performances. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like to make it to criminalize performing arts mm -hmm. it, for doing things that are just, you know, first, first amendment should be first amendment protected. Like, I think, mm -hmm. I think there's like this, this, um, when you're looking at another country, it's easy to see, oh, like that's that's not what what I think our values here are. But right. then you go, wait a minute, like even the people who are like banging the drum the loudest for First Amendment rights here right. are the ones that are like constantly eroding that. And it's like, right. I think the climate in the United States is getting substantially sure. worse for like mm -hmm. certainly live artistic performance and then like books you know but like mm -hmm. in florida talking about like what books can can be legally taught and it's it's man it is like a i i'm sorry to have sounded so alarmist throughout the course of this podcast but like <laughs> okay. there it's just like so much bullshit being yeah. foisted upon like thinking feeling people by either companies looking to get rich or or like regressive politicians looking to right. control people's lives and and bodies and it's like it, i don't know it 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 fucking stinks it's like right. brutal and it's happening right. all the time it is happening all the time and of course there's that almost at this point hackneyed saying that the people who refuse to learn history are doomed to repeat it but yeah it does, like singular thought it, it, as achieved through you know repression and subversion uh, like not having anybody accessing outsider is not sustainable ideologically mm -hmm. you know like i i think about this a lot the the amount of resources that g uses to make sure he's not made fun of so he can project himself as a strong leader i'm like well you just gave people more credence in terms of thinking that you're absolutely and, and so, there's only so right there's only so long that that can last until you're ex you've exhausted your resources or extracted them from people to the point that they are going to react right like it's yeah. it's um it just feels it feels it, it to, to tie it back to what we were talking to before uh, talking about before it really feels like a lot of people in a lot of industries are seeing this kind of like wave of labor organizing this this wave of right. collective action and going like wait we don't like have to eat this shit right like yeah. we don't we there is another choice and maybe it's a hard choice to make and right. and there are and and it's not something to be embarked upon lightly i think you know with, with even with a strike to go like okay we want to take this really seriously and we want to do as as little harm to other people working in the industry's colleagues um across different fields but it's like it, i think people are catching on like it can be better and and working people deserve for it to be better right absolutely and it, there's a you know a reframing that needs to happen on the corporate end i think uh, did you see air yes yeah, I always I, I've been thinking about like the final call that Jordan's mom has with the uh, Sonny Vaccaro. Yeah, that, that 
which I mean, wow, a writer did that, you know? Yeah. And, but it, it, it like, and Viola Davis. <laughs> Viola and Davis Viola did Davis. that. Yeah, she was sure. very, Viola Davis was very good. And you clearly were like, ooh, they wrote that to get her that Oscar nomination, huh? Yeah, absolutely. It, that she really, she really gave, that sequence really gave the movie a like gravitas that was not, I, I not, they failed to put in, it was not what the movie was going for until that moment. Right. And you didn't, the like, and then this sort of like, sort of coda that's explained in text like gives the way like this is why this movie is being made and it's important yeah 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 it's not just about a shoe right and i um it's like yes and no right like all that stuff is true but it's also like so where you know i'm not the first person but like where does nike make their shoes and like how much did (laughs) nike make like they showed how much phil knight don't they showed how much money uh, michael jordan makes from nike and jordan brand and they said how much money phil knight donates to charity but it's like how much money did phil knight make off that more than michael jordan that's true right like that's that's and that's the thing right it's Mm -hmm. like that kind of power and wealth is like always kind of constantly trying to right expand and grow and flaunt itself while like concealing what it takes to perpetuate absolutely and the point of what i brought the call is the the crux of the call not to give too many spoilers but i mean everybody knows what historically yeah michael jordan signs with nike i think that's something we we mostly know but like sonny vaccaro is pitched this deal uh, by Jordan's mom that he should get a percentage of the profits that of the shoes that have his name on it, which is more than fair. Mm-hmm. And he just all the only leg he could stand is like, ah, we just don't do business like that. Yeah. And but then he, me, had, yeah. Oh, sorry. Go on. No, go on. Go on. Um, I was going to say to me, the other interesting thing about that is Sonny Vaccaro. This was, this was the most interesting thing of that um, text sequence was that he was part of the, I believe is O'Bannon versus the NCAA where college athletes are now allowed to profit off their name and like name image and likeness and which which is new that used to be and they would defend it for years as like well there's like a different quality to amateur athletics and it's like yeah the quality is you make all the money they make none of it (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely and you're making so much money. I mean, like the the money that goes into exclusive TV contracts with like networks, like the SEC being exclusively mm-hmm. on CBS. And that's only coming off of the value of the entertainment that the players provide you. Correct. Yeah. So pay, um, pay up in summation, pay. <laughs> I think, I mean, I think yeah. that's it. It's right. It's like, it's a fair deal is what we're asking for. And it's what, sag aftra will be asking for when they get to the table and i'm, I'm sure it's what the yeah. what the dga is hoping to and accomplish Ayatsi as well and, and the editor yeah yeah comes up maybe next year but it's like all these different people that work so hard to generate like billions and billions of dollars in value and you go well if the writers want two percent and if the um stage crews want two percent and if the uh directors and the actors want to to you know whatever those percentages it's like that's who deserves the money the people who are um doing the creating and it's like and if there's money left over Mm -hmm. that you're growing you know if your business is growing and your investors get some money left over Mm -hmm. that's that's how it should go but you can't funnel that money upwards without first paying the people that are like doing the work right that's preposterous right and to them i'd say i'm sure there's a cheaper way to go to space in a few years yeah yep. that's, i mean you're worried I, about spending money to do that i always i keep saying right like all these companies that are giving their ceos 50 million dollars uh 100 million 100 million dollars you know what happens if you have a five million dollar ceo what is that guy like microwave tinfoil on day one <laughs> like do you like th- what what possible value what possible 200 million dollars in value could this guy be generating for your company if it's not skimming from money that you're going to other people right absolutely and uh well that's a whole nother conversation not skimming, other... not skimming as in individually stealing but skimming right. as in like allowing the company to siphon those profits absolutely. from people doing doing the labor anyway right. thank you so much for having me this is a pleasure
Absolutely. Uh, thanks for joining me, Josh. Uh, where can people find you online? And is there anything you'd like to promote? Yeah, I'm at Josh Gondelman, um, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok at this point. I have a Substack called That's Marvelous, uh, joshgondelman.substack.com. And that goes out every Monday and it's full of pep talks. And it's also the best way to find out about my stand-up tour dates. Um, excuse me. And so with with Twitter kind of withering away. So if you want to hear from me just on Mondays and see what I've been up to for the week and hear some pep and read some pep talks, um, you can do that. Or if you just want my tour dates, I'm I'm doing a ton more stand up around the country over the next few months. Uh, and that's joshgondelman.com, G-O-N-D-E-L, man. Great. Uh, I'm Jay Kruger. I created the Comedy Bureau. You can find the Comedy Bureau at thecomedybureau.com, at the Comedy Bureau across platforms you can find me on instagram and not the supermarket on twitter at mfj kroger so many great causes to support this time the entertainment community fund comes to yeah mind. oh hell yeah thank you for plugging that yeah absolutely that uh is uh, definitely a general fund that will go to support the probably way less famous people that you see on the picket line and uh if you have money and generosity left over after that please support the comedy Bureau to keep it running and do you have anything else to say as we sign off here josh no, that's wonderful. And the Entertainment Community Fund is not just for striking writers. It's predominantly for other people. If you can, if you specify film for film and TV workers, it goes to a lot of below the line workers. It's like anyone whose livelihood has been affected by the strike. So that is a really great way to support and to make the the impact of the financial impact of the strike less severe and less onerous on on the people who make the TV and film that you enjoy. Absolutely. Um, Comedy of all kinds is happening. And as the great Bruce Stevens would say, enjoy it. The Comedy Bureau Field Report is recorded, produced, and edited by Jake Kroger. Music by Brian Granillo. Artwork by Andrew Delman and KT. And part of the Believe Podcast family. For listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube.